This morning's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord for us. Good morning, MCA. I am just thrilled to have you with us today. My name is John. And as always, I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. So if you were with us last Sunday, you recall that we talked about, what was the topic? Spiritual gifts. In fact, we spent the whole morning, really, a a big chunk of the morning, looking at the Bible, studying what the scripture teaches about those. And today, we're going to continue. We're going to consider how using them builds up the body of Christ. So I'm going to tell you right here up front, how do we build up the body of Christ? It's by using our spiritual gifts. So we talked about last week how, uh, just like in tennis, it's all about improving our serve. But before we jump into that, I do want to just clarify something. Here we are at church. But church is not a building. I'll tell you why we're at church. We're at church because we've gathered with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are a local expression of a church family. We could meet down at the park. We could meet in homes. If if we didn't have, and, and we're blessed with wonderful facilities, but if we didn't have these facilities, we'd still be a church family. So I want to I clarify there that, that when we're talking about building up the body of Christ and talking about the church, I'm talking about people. I'm talking about people who love Jesus and who are committed one to another. It's not a, a, a set of programs or activities. It's certainly not a building. It's, church is not an organization. Or oftentimes, I think in our, our culture, a church is, is treated almost like a religious social club. I go to that church. Like, like that's where I belong. I, I work out at this gym and I attend services and I go to the programs and activities at that particular religious institution. It's like, that's a poor understanding of church. We are the church. And we are called to be on mission for Christ. And so the, the church then, it's this... It's this group of men and women who have been redeemed by Christ, who are beautifully woven together, and who are willing, as we just heard from the scriptures in Ephesians 4, who are willing to then be equipped to grow in their ability to serve one another and to shine brightly for the lost and broken and dying world. So, we do that by serving. We do that by serving. That's how we build up the body of Christ. We serve right where God has placed us. We serve the one God has placed right in front of us. The best example? 
Jesus. By the way, today, today's message, I think, could be easily understood by a fourth grader. So if you're a fourth, fifth grader with us today, like, you can follow me. You, you can learn and grow just as the rest of us are as well. The best example is our Lord Jesus. The reason I mention that is because there's a passage in the Bible, in John chapter 13, where he does something shocking. He washes his disciples' feet. Do you think that foot washing was Jesus' spiritual gift? <laughs> well, we don't know. He probably had all the spiritual gifts, so sure. But, but I, don't, I don't necessarily think that that was his number one highest on the survey foot washing with a big circle on it. And after Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, and, his, and their feet were dirty, by the way. If you've ever been a part of a foot washing service in modern day culture, many of us who grew up in Anabaptist circles, I think, grew up doing foot washing. I certainly did. But you always washed your feet before the foot washing service. That, that was just kind of a, that was an expectation. It was like, oh, we got foot washing tonight. Like everybody's got to like either take a full on bath or like wash your feet because <laughs> this is ceremonial. Like you don't want to be bringing no stanky feet in for foot washing. But not so with Jesus because feet were their mode of transportation. So their feet would have indeed been quite stinky, smelly, dirty, and gross. And Jesus washed them. And after he washed them, this is in John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What's the example? He humbled himself. He was willing to be a servant who washed feet. And, and then he wanted to teach us to do the exact same thing. Or there's another story you can think of in Matthew chapter 20, where there's an argument that breaks out among the disciples of Jesus. And the argument, it's not over, no, I'm going to wash their feet. No, I'm going to wash their feet. Mm -mm. The argument was over, who's the greatest among us? They're arguing about, I think I'm the greatest. No, did you see what I did the other day? They're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And here's what Jesus says. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to, everybody say it with me, serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the, the perfect one, the Prince of Peace, the living water, the bread of life, our Redeemer. Uh, he's our righteousness. He's the light of the world, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the King of Kings, the Bible says. He's the Lord of Lords. And he stoops down and washes dirty feet. And then he says, now you do it. This is how the body of Christ is built up. By humble, loving service. By selfless and sacrificial living. So we just saw a, a bunch of our new members up here with me on the platform. In the membership materials, some of you have been through this, and maybe you'll recall this. Others of you have not. But there, there's a document that is responsibilities of membership. 
And here's what it states in part. It says, MCA's leadership is committed to helping each person find the area God is calling him or her to contribute his or her gift. Members of the family strive to consistently use their spiritual gifts as they minister to others. Use their spiritual gifts. What a great reminder for each and every one of us. So, so for those of you who are charter members, for those of you who are regular attendees who haven't taken that step, and to the group that just took new membership today, we have a part in the ministry of this local church. And by doing so, we build up the body of Christ. See, in that way, it's actually self-serving. Our motivation is not to, to uh, improve our own situation or help ourselves, but it actually ends up being the result. That is to say, when you are building up the body of Christ, you are being better served yourself. God is getting the glory, people are being loved, and our testimony to the world is strong. It's a beautiful thing. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together. As we talk about building up the body of Christ, I want to share very, three very simple ways that we can do that. This is all in the context of last week having studied the spiritual gifts. Three ways that we can build up the body of Christ. And the first is to develop a servant's heart. It starts here with the work God is doing on the inside with humility and the heart of a servant. Jesus served because he humbled himself. He loved them to the end, the scripture says. He did something that everyone else thought was beneath them in, in context there. He was the one who did it because others hadn't. He did something that everyone else thought was beneath them. So the greatest one is the one who is the servant. Jesus, the son of God, knelt down and washed feet. Jesus washed. And the reason that just causes me to pause is because there have been times where I've said, no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe you have too. There have been times where opportunities have presented themselves and I've said, I don't have time for that. I've got other things to do. I've got more important things to do. Isn't there someone else who could do that? Jesus washed feet. And after he did, he said, see, what I did there was set an example so that you should do the same thing. Oh, God. Develop in us the heart of a servant. Do you find yourself saying, that's beneath me? In your home, in your workplace? As part of the body of Christ here in the church family? like the guy who agreed to be a sound technician. He ended up quitting. He couldn't handle the feedback. 
Well, here's what we read in Philippians chapter 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The humility of Jesus was so great, lest we gloss over that. Oh yeah, he washed feet, great. Fantastic. And this wasn't an isolated incident, by the way. This was a consistent choice that Christ made during his life. It was so great that when he was mocked, he didn't shout back. He, he didn't call names back. He didn't reciprocate. When he was accused of not being God, he didn't say, that's it. Blow the trumpet. Bring the heavenly host. I'm going to show them that I'm God. No. When he was spat upon, when his beard was pulled, when he was humiliated, when he was beaten, he didn't so much as swing a fist through the air. He didn't fight back. He didn't kick him in the shins, pull their hair. He, he was punished for the wrongdoing of others. He himself had done nothing wrong. And yet he didn't call down fury from heaven. To set it right. He allowed God the Heavenly Father to accomplish through him and through his gruesome death on the cross what otherwise could not have been accomplished. And so, because of that, we have this great message of redemption. And it's a message the world needs to hear. So will we humble ourselves? Will we choose to be like Jesus so that even more people will know the good news? Will we serve others out of a sincere heart? I remember someone once telling me, this has stuck with me for a long time. How will you know if you have a servant's heart? You'll know if you have a servant's heart by the way you respond when you're treated like one. You'll know your heart when you're treated like a servant. Whoever wants to become great among you must become a servant of all. See, when you're serving with the right heart, then it's not about getting the pat on the back or even the recognition. You serve even when no one is watching. When you're serving with the right heart, it's not about you. It's about others. You're motivated by your love for others and wanting to bring glory to God. You, you want to meet their needs. You want to wash their feet. So we build up the body of Christ when we develop a servant's heart. Secondly, we build up the body of Christ when we develop our spiritual gifts. So we're not going to recap last Sunday. If you missed that message, I would, would encourage you to go back and listen so that you can have a good biblical understanding of what the spiritual gifts are. But the primary way that we are supposed to serve one another is by using our spiritual gift, by developing it. So, 
Those are listed, by the way, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we were last Sunday. For this morning, let's go to the passage Steph read for us in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, please open to Ephesians chapter 4. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave what to his people? Thank you, Melissa. He gave what to his people? Thank you, Ben. He gave gifts to his people. Gifts. What does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave, and we have here four of what we listed last week as ministry gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then the dual gift of pastor-teacher. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So, followers of Jesus must be equipped for works of service. That, that's what the scriptures say. This is what Paul is telling us. For the body to be built up, we've already established that we've got to develop a servant's heart. But the clear teaching here is, for the body of Christ to be built up, the saints must be equipped for works of service. That's developing your spiritual gift. So we have people who are gifted in our church family here, but they don't yet have a servant's heart. We have people in our church family who are gifted here, but they still need to be plugged into a ministry team in the right area where they can develop their spiritual gifts. So they've got to be developed. Our spiritual gifts have to be developed. You think of last year's Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. He plays for the Eagles. He's never going to be, well, for that matter, I should say, nor will any of his teammates <laughs> be successful in the NFL unless they improve. They, they've got to grow in their skills and in their abilities, right? He might have won the Heisman. He's the greatest college football player of last year, but he's not going to have success unless he continues to develop. So it's the same way in the church. Great, I've got this spiritual gift. How awesome. God is so good. Now begin to develop it. Now begin to use it. Now begin to grow in it. So for that reason, I do hope that you will stay for our Sunday school hour today. We're having a ministry fair in the gym. You're all invited. Come and be a part of that. It's going to be a great opportunity to learn about all of the ministry teams that make MCA run. And here's what's great about it. When you serve, it helps you to grow in your spiritual walk. When you serve, you become even more like the Lord Jesus Christ. When you serve, God changes lives. Simply put, when you serve, God changes lives. And the life he usually begins with first is you. So serve. Develop your spiritual gift. Just like Jesus said, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Jesus served us. Okay, so we've camped out on the foot washing thing. We, we've talked about the crucifixion. His life, his ministry, his birth, his death, and 
resurrection and ascension, like in all of that, Christ was serving us. So when Paul says here in Ephesians 4 that that Jesus descended into lower earthly regions, he's talking about Jesus coming as a baby. He's talking about Jesus entering into our world and our brokenness. The good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world, as we sang this morning, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, when we realize that Jesus served us through his birth and his life, his ministry, his teaching, his miracles, washing feet, playing with small children, healing lepers, that he served us through his death, That he served us through his resurrection. And did you know even now he's serving us? Because here's what Jesus said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Maybe you've never thought about it that way. That even today, Jesus is serving you. It wasn't just one day that he knelt down and washed feet. He is serving you today. He's actively preparing a place in paradise for you. Jesus has continued to serve you. And it inspires each and every one of us to then serve for the glory of God. But here's the thing. It's really, really hard to develop your spiritual gift and serve in your spiritual gift when you don't know what the spiritual gifts are or when you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Sometimes we do just a quick once-over and go, hmm, uh, that's my spiritual gift. We kind of just pick it a la carte. And the spiritual gift you want is not the spiritual gift you have. (laughs) So it's got to be a sincere approach to say, how has God uniquely gifted me to serve him and to serve the body of Christ? And it's not that one is more important than the other. You know, I think we're guilty of of maybe glamorizing some and, and demeaning others. It's not that one is more important than the other. So we seek out what gift God has given us, and we use it for his glory. A concert violinist had a brother who was a bricklayer. And one day, a woman was talking to the bricklayer. She was a fan of his brother, the concert violinist. And she was just going on and on and on about how wonderful it must be to have this world-renowned brother in your family. And uh, she wanted to guard against insulting the man And so she added, of course, well, you know, we don't all have the same abilities. Isn't it remarkable that even in the same family, one might have more ability than others? To which the bricklayer responded, yeah, you're telling me he doesn't know a thing about laying bricks. Sometimes we get jealous. I think it's appropriate to acknowledge that as we learn about spiritual gifts, that sometimes we get jealous. Well, I want his. I I want to do that. We best serve, by the way, and I forgot to make a graphic for this, but it would be a Venn diagram. If you're a note taker, you draw three circles. The, the, The best place to serve is in your sweet spot. And the sweet spot is what I call an intersection of three things. Number one, your area of spiritual giftedness. In other words, what is your spiritual gift? So that's one circle in the Venn diagram. The other is an area of passion. What's an area, a field, 
a niche that you have great interest, concern, and passion regarding. And then the third circle that completes that sweet spot that's right in the center and connects all three is an area of need. Your spiritual gift meets an area of passion meets a need. Let me give an example. A friend of mine named Kurt. His gift, administration. His passion, sports. <laughs> he loves sports. He watches sports. He plays sports. He talks about sports. He, he grew up the son of an athletic director at the local high school. Now, the area of need. In his community, and this in, in the county in which he resides, there are 122,000 people. So 122,000 people in his county, and of course there are a few other surrounding communities as well. A few of the schools had some youth basketball programs, and the YMCA has a basketball program. But the issue is this community that has lots of young families didn't have enough opportunity for youth to play basketball. So, so here's what happens is, is you have tryouts and only the best kids make the team. Then you go, yeah, that's how it works. But then what happened was you have lots of children, lots of families, lots of individuals who they didn't make the team. And so they don't have a place to play. So Kurt launched a program in his community. What he did was he talked with several churches about doing this as, as a gospel-based, faith-based initiative. And he started doing faith-based sports for any and every child that wanted to participate. And before long, Kurt had over 1,500 children playing in these basketball leagues, year over year over year, each winter doing sports together. It was a great success. It was a blessing to many. I saw firsthand and participated and led a bunch of kids to Christ and saw families renewed in their relationship with God or hearing the gospel for the first time. It was fruitful. We, we saw children who were in this supposedly non-competitive athletic league, and they went on to play middle school basketball. Some of them went on to play high school basketball. And yes, even a few went on to play college basketball. Why was this all happening this way? It was his sweet spot. It was a, a person who had this gift, an area of passion, and then the need. The need right in his community, right in his backyard, that is the sweet spot. Maybe your gift is helps, serving, or helps. I just like to do stuff. I like to just jump on board and serve. I, I like, I'm, not, I'm not an idea person. I'm a doer. Maybe an area of passion for you is technology. You love gadgets and gizmos and you, you always get the newest iPhone and the iPad and you're always figuring out how things work. Well, we could use another person in our media ministry. That's the need. <laughs> is, is it possible that God is calling you to serve there? This is just one example, by the way. That, that that would be a sweet spot that's your gift, an area of passion, and we have the need right here in your local church. We, we are most effective 
when we are in our sweet spot. This is the way our church operates, by the way. If you uh, have noticed the way MCA runs and the way we get ministry done here, we have a very small staff and we have a lot of ministry teams. This is how we accomplish the ministries that God has given us, is by volunteers serving on ministry teams, carrying out the vision that God has given us. And so our church leaders are, A, grateful for all the men and women who serve. So thank you. And many of you do serve and have served and continue to serve. And B, we get excited thinking about an MCA that's in their sweet spot, where we've got people who are being equipped, who are growing, and who are developing their spiritual gifts. Why? Because the body of Christ is built up. God gets the glory. People are transformed more into his image. And our testimony to the world is strengthened. I love the analogy from Scripture that, that Paul uses of the body, of, of a human body where we've got different parts, right? So we have this teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 that spiritual gifts are like parts of the body. Every part belongs. Every part has a purpose and a reason. The, the eye can't say to the ear that since it's not an eye, it doesn't belong. He says, no, if the whole body were an eye then we wouldn't be able to smell anything. We wouldn't be able to hear anything. So no matter what gift God has given you, you belong to the body of Christ. You are needed for us to be whole, for us to be complete. Each person's gift needs to be used in order for the body of Christ to be built up, in order order for us to function the way that God has called us to. Maybe your spiritual gift is dodgeball. Do I play hard? Yeah. Do I win? Usually. My name is Charlie Parker. And my spiritual gift is dodgeball. When you ask Michael Jordan how he got to where he is right now, he'd say he practiced, practiced, practiced. Hey, Charlie, somebody called for you. He might say some other things, but the main thing would be practice. And that's what I do. I practice. I practice at home. I practice at work. I practice at school. I practice when people aren't looking and people are looking. Hey, Charlie, I have an apple for you. Here, catch. And that's what makes me unique. The key to being a good dodgeball player is to be agile, like a spider monkey. Ironically, that's our team name. One of my moves is called the wing duck and the conspiracy theory. God gave some people the gift of compassion, some people the gift of love. He gave me the gift of dodgeball, and I'm going to use that unto him. Dodgeball. Do outstanding deeds. Go everywhere. Be all. Dodgeball. Hey, listen, Charlie, man. Lots of paper here. Got a stapler? The worst place to get hit is not the head, but the heart. Some people and girls don't understand the meaning of competition. I'm not sorry. Okay, so so maybe dodgeball isn't one of the spiritual gifts. So we talked this morning about building up the body of Christ and how it begins with developing a servant's heart and that we should also develop our spiritual gifts. One more thought before we conclude this morning. How do we build up the body of Christ? It's developing love for one another. 
growing in our capacity for loving others within the body of Christ. So within our church family, we are motivated by love for one another. This is how all people will know that you're my disciples, Jesus says in John 13, by your love for one another. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, which again is a description of spiritual gifts, we're reminded that there's something far greater than those spiritual gifts that God has given us. So at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. Now the next chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. It's the greatest description of love ever written. We mostly hear it at weddings. But I want to point out to you that the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched right between two chapters on spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. Those are two places where we have teaching on spiritual gifts. Sandwiched right between them is the love chapter. So notice there, let, let's turn there, 1 Corinthians 13. Notice there that the gifts are listed right at the beginning, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. I should have probably led with this this morning. But because it's like, we must serve one another in love. We, we must acknowledge even, within the context of a local church family, the places we cause hurt. The places where we've offended. That we have to seek forgiveness. That, that we've got to humble ourselves. That we've got to keep serving Christ together. So when those situations arise, we've got to deal with them in a way that honors God and honors one another. And honestly, a church family grows through those. They might not be wanted, they might not be pleasant, but, but it's when we, we cause hurt and offense and then reconcile with one another that we mature, that we are strengthened, that we continue serving as brother and sister in Christ. So that's why Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. He says, love never fails. If we're going to build up the body of Christ, we've got to grow in our love for one another. We've got to develop love for our brothers and sisters in Christ right here. And then he says there at the end of verse 8, but where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. So no matter how wonderful and exciting our spiritual gifts are, you know what? They're really useless. They're, they're even destructive if they're not unleashed in love. 
after we've cultivated that servant's heart, after we've refined knowing what our spiritual gifts are in the context of our area of passion and the area of need around us, they're useless unless they're unleashed in love. So may the Lord help us to improve our serve so that the body of Christ would be built up as we develop that heart of a servant, as we use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us, oh God, for the times that we have torn others down? For the times that we've kicked people rather than washing their feet. Would you forgive us, oh God, for the times we've let our own personal agenda and our own emotions get in the way of laboring together with other flawed people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you help us, oh God, to be unified? Would you help us, oh God, to keep our eyes fixed on you? Lord, continue to build your church that the gates of hell wouldn't overcome it. And we thank you that you've called us, men and women, young people and old, to serve you. So God, keep transforming us to become a vibrant community. And God, give us courage that we would share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.